Welcome to You Hate Movies, the podcast in which casual moviegoers, film lovers, and cinephiles argue about movies. Today we pit beloved film geek director Quentin Tarantino's 2012 blood-soaked, racially charged western, Django Unchained, against Quentin Tarantino's 2015 blood-soaked, racially charged western, The Hateful Eight. We'll wrestle with the question, what the heck is 70mm film and why should we care? Along the way you're going to get spoilers for Django Unchained and The Hateful Eight, as well as Moonrise Kingdom, Evil Dead, Reservoir Dogs, The Polar Express, Forrest Gump, Jurassic Park, Snakes on a Plane, Funny Games, High Plains Drifter, After Earth, Inglorious Bastards, Kill Bill, 21 Jump Street, 22 Jump Street, and Magic Mike. Here at You Hate Movies, we actually love movies. I, I love movies. Yeah, we love them. I love you movies. You hate movies, who, not us. Who here loves movies? Matt Hughes is here. Do you love movies? Man, I love me some movies. Okay, I believe this guy. I believe a British person. Liam. Liam's back. Bongiorno. And what do you? Fi- how do you feel about uh, the medium celluloid films, movies? I I like movies so much. I watch one at least every other day. Okay, it's not bad. Tyler clearly loves movies. He's oh. on a podcast all the time. Oh about man, him. yeah, I love movies. Patrick, oh, I, I love movies. <laughs> Patrick. Do you love movies? I, I love them to death. We all love I, I oh. love movies. I'm Josh. I love movies. And the reason I bring this up is because we love movies so much that we rushed out to the theater to catch uh, Quentin Tarantino's latest film. And, uh, the the eighth eighth film from, from Quentin, Quentin Tarantino, Tarantino, which uh, is also The Hateful Eight, mm. which must be why he, he did that on that's purpose. An H, that's an H. He knew what he was the doing. numerical eight, F-U-L, the hate, get it? Oh, he yeah, did it like a I text it. message? Mm. It's like yeah. the David like, Fincher flick where it's yeah. like S-E <laughs> number seven <laughs> E. Which that ain't no V. Yeah. 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 V. It's a sideways 90 V. 90 degrees off. So anyway, we rush out to the theater to catch not just The Hateful Eight, but the special 70 millimeter film roadshow presentation. Ultra Panavision. Cinemascope. Cinemascope. Uh, Cinerama. 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 The Hateful Eight. Oh, dang it. Um, now the difference here is that uh, you'll, you've probably heard a lot about this and you'll probably hear some more about it but the thing is the roadshow presentation is not like the normal theatrical release you go in you sit down you're given this souvenir program to go with uh, your evening the film opens with an introduction from someone at the theater telling you what you're getting yourself into at least ours did I don't mm-hmm. know how yours yep. was oh sure yeah. did yep. and uh, yep. there's a musical overture that plays out you settle in you get your mind right right and then the lights go down even further and Uh the film starts right away you realize you're seeing something quite different 70 millimeter film as far as we could tell the experience was gorgeous Mm -hmm. it was really nice looking we'll we'll talk about this in a bit but we don't know how much of a difference we would be able to tell if someone put then put on a different real film or or something but either way we were happy because it looked Great, the the special uh, Panavision lenses that Tarantino resurrected to film this movie, or at least some of the shots in this movie, yes. were fantastic. The shots were breathtaking. We're gonna we're gonna take on My the breath task. was taken. We're gonna take on the task of ranking all of Tarantino's films from best to worst in our next episode. Right, right. and we'll get we'll get into in pretty in depth with our hateful eight experience as well. So right. turn in next week for that. All so exciting times, everyone. We sat down, we watched this movie, had a great time, and we thought to ourselves, uh, we should talk about this on the podcast. You know, the last movie that came out from Quentin Tarantino was Django Unchained prior Fantastic to... Fantastic Western from 
Right. Quentin Tarantino. And uh, it, there's a lot of carryover from Django Unchained into The Hateful Eight. Django is set... Um, several years prior to the Civil War, Two years and, and Hateful Eight is set several some period of time after yes. the Civil War has come to a close. Some of the characters from Hateful Eight look like they could have just walked off the set of right. Django Unchained. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, the tone in some aspects is quite similar, and uh, the actors, obviously, a yeah. couple of them the show, mm-hmm. show up yeah. again as well. Uh, but at the same time, Hateful Eight is a completely unique animal to Django Unchained. And mm-hmm. it's yeah. it's when we looked at Tarantino's filmography, and, and like Tyler said, we're going to rank them all in our next episode. But these two kind of floated to the top, both for the fact that they came out back to back and for the fact that they are so... You're seeing Tarantino do another Western um, aesthetically, the set design, the costumes the uh you know the lyricism of the dialogue is all really similar to django but uh unlike django unchained which is this sprawling sort of epic across the country uh yeah bit of work hateful eight uh is localized almost entirely to two different sets and most of it within like a room yeah Mm -hmm. it's a stagecoach and a haberdashery right yeah so um how do they hold up to one another you know when you, you come out of a movie like uh, Hateful Eight and it's it's a bit of a movie you have to process mm-hmm. not unlike other Tarantino movies what was you guys experience like compared to walking out of Django Unchained a couple of years prior <coughs> Yeah, when I came out of uh, Django in a similar way I came out of uh, when I saw Inglorious in the theaters was just amped I was mm-hmm. like because it's such a revenge fantasy kind of thing where you're just so excited because you know the hero wins and all this great stuff happens big explosions and everything when i came out of hateful eight i was marveling at what i saw because it looked so cool the big giant wide shots everything they did in the snow just looked so so neat mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it was that opening scene yeah it's it just awesome. it's like five minutes a crucifixion coach and i was into it it was like tarantino being so so tarantino and i loved it patient yeah. at the beginning he thought man i'm gonna get tarantino all over the <laughs> yeah. yeah you just you see how long you can stare at this cross <laughs> i'm gonna tarantino the ish out of this <laughs> i'm glad you brought that opening shot up and what you said about tarantino being so tarantino even though i'll go ahead and uh put my cards on the table now and say that i really enjoyed the movie i liked it a good deal um i did feel like there were moments in the for better or for worse sometimes they really worked for the movie and other times uh for the first time in a while with tarantino movies i started to think like i think he's going overboard uh, a little bit. I think that's a, there was a, a bit of self-indulgence mm-hmm. there where we've talked about on the show before how I pick on uh, Moonrise Kingdom a lot, the uh, yeah. Wes Anderson, <laughs> Anderson flick, movie. because I feel like that's yeah. so self-indulgent that all story and fun is sapped out of it so that he can just become a parody of himself. The Hateful Eight was not nearly that bad, even in the momentary lapses into self-indulgence that I had. But there were some bits that I was yeah. like, this is almost too Tarantino, even for yeah. T- Tarantino. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I think his overindulgence and like full commitment to retro film, like making film experiences, adding an overture, adding an intermission. He's, he's had long movies before where he hasn't done that. So he pushed himself into these these vintage, uh, you know, movie making Techniques. processes. Uh, but he also self indulged by just 
narrating it. He's that like, was the that was the straw that broke the camel's yeah, back. Yeah, it was just so strange yeah, that to me. Was too where much. He threw in this intermission, and then you come back from intermission, and now you have Quentin Tarantino talking to us about what we just saw and catching us up. It's like what's what are we doing here? Why right, like he, like we're watching it in real time because he says like right. fifteen minutes. It's earlier. a twelve minute intermission. He's like, yeah, yeah we, it's been about fifteen minutes since we were last with our characters. I'm like, why are you breaking the fourth wall like yeah. that? Like, I don't even I don't know if it's that. if it's the nature of what was written that bothered me so much as it was his voice in mm-hmm. audio format sitting on top of the visuals. It didn't mm-hmm. fit well. If yeah, it felt jarring and weird. There's yeah. a moment in Django that's comparable that's done way. I think more effectively where that you get this beautiful montage of them doing their bounty hunting or at least traveling through the winter to the Jim Croce song. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the I got a name. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's beautifully shot. And you're, you're talking about the scroll. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. at the, as it comes to a close, <laughs> the scroll rolls up the screen that tells you that they had a profitable winter right. doing bounty hunting and then they headed to, and then boom, you're in Mississippi and you get this huge yeah. scrolling word that says Mississippi. That makes That's me a wonder piece of exposition. That makes me wonder with the 70 millimeter and the built in intermission, how does that change for like the wide release viewings we probably should see that because maybe that's how it plays maybe there's just a quick flash intermission or a quick that makes more sense that actually he built in that voiceover for the plebs who aren't seeing it in like the tree what have we done to ourselves we all went to the limited release 70 millimeter and we don't know what the rest of the world saw well we'll just go see it at like gxl and they don't know what we contrast and compare either way if there was narration in the in the wide release or not it was it was weird and and overindulgent and it shows up again yeah Yeah, and then he uses it later and i feel like he wouldn't ever it seems like he would never put anything in to pander to the people who aren't seeing it quote unquote properly like we saw it in a way that he wanted people to see it but so why would he put something in there for for the the lesser people that are seeing it in digital same way he might oversee like a blu-ray transfer and that's not the Mm -hmm. medium that he likes but it's gonna happen you gotta consider but altering the actual film itself with narration seems like it would be a step yeah but it's it's like a it's like a trade-off though he he -hmm. wouldn't get to put it out that way unless he offered that's true i think Mm -hmm. that uh the narration as a device for storytelling his voice aside it was weak i didn't like it i thought it didn't work well I think it would the storytelling devices in Django are much stronger. Yeah, it could yes. have been Charlton Heston. Why Tarantino's voice? But it didn't J- bother me because he had to have a cameo. Well, the Django he thing shows up in all his movies. I guess you know, does he, he show up in up? every yeah. single movie no. for a crawl to suddenly appear no. on the screen and tell you what's going on in this. Like, oh, by the way, time has passed. That's not like that's a conventional thing to do. It's still unconventional. It's still like retrofitted. Mm-hmm to the a movie so you can still do that kind of originality but without when it's like while we were gone this guy put his gun over here <laughs> you didn't see it yeah. like wait yeah. but yeah. that's the way that's the weird was thing is story. like coming back from the intermission i don't even think that you needed that no like it was it was almost i'm trying to remember there may have been some key stuff in there that but it sound it, from what i remember it was just it's been 15 minutes this nothing has really happened everyone's just been eating uh, dinner coffee drinking coffee poison. Yeah. During the 15 minutes, mm-hmm. that's when it happened. That's oh, what they was it say. Donna, Donna Hughes? That's secrets. what was happening. It was, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's yeah, really key exposition. Yeah, poisoned <laughs> during the altercation between oh, Jackson and okay. the Well, yeah, guy. then forget what I'm saying. Smithy? But they, yeah. they could have just done that with a flashback. They didn't need an narrative. So that's, that's some did. of the self-indulgence the when it didn't seem to work to at least everyone but Patrick. 
But there know. were other moments of Tarantino self-indulgence that I did feel like worked. The, the amount of time that we spend in the stagecoach with nothing but dialogue was actually mm-hmm. super engaging. Yes. Mm-hmm. Tarantino's obviously famously obsessed with dialogue and stretching mm-hmm. the limits of yeah. what dialogue can That's accomplish. Very patient. Rhythm. It's yep. dialogue, mm-hmm. dialogue, dialogue. Ultraviolence. Violence. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And did they like a, a two-minute shot of just horses running at one point? There was. That That mm-hmm. was the kind that of... That was pretty good. <laughs> so when mm-hmm. he did that to start off with, there was like a tone setter, the opening shot of the crucifix mm-hmm. um, yeah. with the snow piled up. Uh, and it's the camera's on a crane and it's very very slowly moving like in an arc down across the crucifix Mm -hmm. and when it finally gets there and it felt like minutes it Mm -hmm. felt like it must have been three or four minutes is that overture yeah then you then you finally see the stagecoach coming i thought that was fantastic it was getting me in mm-hmm. there, it was great. It was. It's mm-hmm. like forcing you to understand the pacing of the film. Right. Yeah, exactly. I, I really, I did appreciate that after the fact. In the moment, I had a hard time realizing that's what. But we he were did doing. not obviously not uh, the same level of slowness. But even with the opening of Django, just the fact that the the credits are at the front end again, and you have the song, and you just yeah. have this the group of slaves just walking mm-hmm. through, yeah, like, and then, Django like, fantastic. yeah, it's this it's really, a, yeah. a similar, setting. like, setting, like, this is, a, this is a movie about a journey, it's about black and white conflict in the South, like, it's obviously, like, it, it tells you it's 1858, two years before the Civil War, so immediately you're in a time and place. And it, ha- it has the same effect that he just uses that opening shot. Yeah, but that opening montage in Django is mercifully edited compared to that oh, shot. Oh, yeah, abso- absolutely. Well, it's not a rock yes. solid mm-hmm. shot you're, you're of you're a wooden Jesus. You're following slaves through the desert. Yes, but there's movement. Yeah, there's there's quick, even there's like a whip cuts, crack and, and the, and the camera rapid zoom camera sure. moves. It's there not are camera cuts. There are credits. Yes, there's a lot totally. on screen. But it's but it's a similar. Just I think what I'm trying to articulate probably poorly is that it's a similar technique of just he's setting the tone of the movie well, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. like with just that opening scene Agreed. he's just very patient yeah. like snowy that. wooden jesus i think that he it's it's smart if that's doing if he's doing that intentionally because it's getting everyone's like anxiety and like <laughs> their wiggles out if you will mm-hmm. yeah I, and it, I mean it did build it built suspense just that's seeing that stagecoach come towards you for three minutes you're like yeah. what is what is and we've said on? nothing of the excellent uh score the score that's playing out over that shot yeah. is very sinister yes. sounding yep. and like awesome. and more so than because usually a tarantino movie will open with some kind of like uh antiquated sort of um you know the django song that plays over the opening you're like yeah, oh i'm in the 70s right. but it's from i think it's from the django, django movie in 1966 right or it's the same song the opening yeah. credits are where he purposefully will go and get the old studio cards and put them on there right which he's done um, from the very beginning it creates way back at Reservoir yeah. even sort of an exciting things. warm sort of nostalgic thing and you get a bit of that with hateful eight but then when that score starts playing there's like these jagged violins and this like minor chord based building ominous soundscape that's just like oh this is you know what i mean it feels so much darker nothing good's gonna become of this these are the hateful eight Mm -hmm. (laughs) is that what you said in the theater i like that they leaned over to tyler (laughs) dude nothing good will come of this these are the hateful but even still like like it's just neat seeing that uh that Tarantino's has said that his favorite movie of all time is Good, Bad, and the Ugly. Yeah. And to take that, the guy who did the score, uh, 
Ennio Marconi, something like that, um, to yep. pull him into this is just must have been like a dream yeah, come true. Totally. I loved like, his score. So his score was so yeah, good. It was, yeah, it even had a couple riveting. of themes that mm-hmm. reoccurred. Yeah. And, and I love that you got given a lot of that stuff in the overture. Like I really enjoyed that aspect of the of the experience. Was that like, oh man, I like I've heard some of this music, mm-hmm. so that's like a callback. It's already like in my mind those like mm-hmm. notes and those themes, it, yeah. like, and so you're ready for it. And so when you come, you're like, oh, I've heard this before. It's it's not new, but it's still exciting, right? And the thing about mm-hmm. the Hateful Eight as a uh, stylistically. That if you don't know, the thing actually began as a stage production. Uh, Quentin Tarantino I can c- see that. got together a bunch of a his classic cast members, um, and he did in, in L.A. a one-night-only engagement for the fun of it, where I, I don't know how much of the screenplay remained exactly the way it wound up in the movie, but uh, he did The Hateful Eight as a one-time stage production. And the reaction to it was so exciting that... They convinced him, you know, whomever convinced him that he should immortalize it in film form. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes the voiceover make more sense because yeah. that's a common the theatrical, y- yeah, yeah. Something like uh, Django cannot exist in a one night no. stage no engagement, yeah. mm-hmm. and that's part of the that. the beauty and the charm of both of them being so different. Uh, this, you know, kind of sprawling epic and this tightly contained like Evil Dead Western in a cabin yeah uh it makes them harder to compare even though they have so much in common to look at and to hear yeah and with that i think i mean the whole play aspect of it that once they're in that haberdashery and it's they're using you know the the ultra panavision like lenses and stuff in this little space yeah they're playing he's doing a play and he's filling the scene with all these little details and they're all speaking within that Going back to his first film, Reservoir Dogs, which a lot of that plays like a play as well. Yeah, right. I really feel want to sweep, no, like I absolutely throwback. agree. Uh, Hateful Eight plays a lot like Reservoir Dogs, where you're kind of put into a situation where all these different characters are in a room and they're arguing about certain events and who did what and who didn't do what. And, and where, you're, you're, where are the audience? We're in this single location trying to figure out how it all played out. And just like Reservoir Dogs, you get flashbacks into previous events, mm-hmm. uh, kind of in pieces. But then, you know, when Channing Tatum shows up, you get a lot more all at once. You're like, oh, that where, guy. Yeah, the guy from where the credits. characters <laughs> who you thought you had figured out for the majority of the film all of a sudden receive a whole new yeah. background and whole new motivations and dynamics that totally change the way you see them all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And it makes this, this, when you come back to the current time it makes this scene so much more complex and mm-hmm. and stressful and it's seen at times that the mm-hmm. characters would step out in front of everything and give a monologue mm-hmm. <laughs> as if it were like a stage production right and those were great those were yeah. great hey you reckon that um the cook who ran away at the end of Django and chain ran all the way north and changed her name to Minnie so she can be found and then she opened a haberdashery uh, is that the same actress it's the same actress yeah, yeah. The, same actress. there's Jan- a theory there's a shared universe right Django's owner in the flashback in Django and Chain, Django's owner who says they have to get branded with the R for runaway is the old general in the chair uh, and that makes yeah. sense because he's a horrible racist southern plantation owner yeah. who yeah. became Selling a general cheap. in the civil war he was much have. more of a schnazzy dresser yeah. I, I, well, he I, got I given like a nice to, uniform <laughs> I like to believe that there there is a shared universe but I don't know how you explain uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character Snowball or, or uh, Walton Goggins who yeah Walton Goggins is 
Mm-hmm. He's he yeah, works in Candyland because he, he dies he, at the end yeah, of Candyland. Candy I mean, it could cousin, be his brother. Tarantino himself said they're in the same universe. Yeah, yeah, but I I don't know how. how well, because so how? Um, it just seems like wishful thinking. Yeah. Like, it's just people that they cool? look they're that, not the same person. I mean, it's, 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 it's I mean, it's, it's said that the sh- the sheriff talks about how his dad had what a number of brothers and they were in a militia. Oh my gosh, this is the Pixar theory. Yeah, that's okay. That's true. That's stupid. But but to Tarantino's credit, it's kind of a weird backwards. We'll just go with Minnie and the General. To Tarantino's credit, um, the, it could be p- possible that this is the shared universe and that Samuel Jackson is just playing two separate characters because in Django, the very first person to die in Django, uh, who's shot by Christoph Waltz, that same actor shows up later as uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's bodyguard in Candyland. Oh, one of the original slave yeah, traders. Same actor yeah. plays two roles. Oh, that's interesting. Puts on a bowler hat instead yeah. of yeah, a and shaves his beard and just has a mustache. Here? We saw his yeah. face get blown up. Right. What's he doing now? So maybe it's just it's just. Right. I don't know if you guys quirky. know this, but in the maybe. Polar Express, Tom Hanks is more than just yeah. the, he's the he's engineer. Oh, Six man. characters, I believe. <laughs> so Zemeckis has this uh, whole universe. Well, there is. We learned there is a flux capacitor in the Polar Express, and people get. Punched silly by time travelers. Let's like work out that. Let's work out that in another episode. I, uh, I I appreciate that about Tarantino. He kind of just ignores some of the normal filmmaking rules. Yeah, where he just you know what? Forget you. I'm going to put this guy in the yeah, movie twice. Yeah, you know I really like this actor, <laughs> so he can just be in it again as a different guy with a different facial hair. Well, that's yeah. it. Like Walton Goggins was like he was a welcome addition to like Hateful Eight. Like, oh, fantastic. he was a fantastic yeah. job. Wonderful. Like, he was a, like a main star. Uh, yeah. In the movie. Oh, he was hilarious to me. Yeah. yeah. Especially he might by, have been my favorite. by the end of the flick when he was. Uh, wounded yeah. and paranoid and he started to get really sassy and hilarious. That was great. Yeah. He just, he just passes out out yeah. of nowhere. <laughs> I don't feel good. <laughs> I like that we got to see Sam Jackson be the the main person and, and like him to flex his acting, acting chops a little bit. Right. And it's Tarantino. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he Usually he's uh, not the, beautifully the well. center. He kind yep. of carried the same character trait as the uh, role he played in Django. Because in Django, he's got these two guys showing up to Candyland, and he's able to deduce their motives based on very flimsy evidence and just kind right. of the hunch that he has. Yeah. And he's able to just astoundingly... Right. He intuits it. So... Yeah, what's happened in this cabin, yeah. he can tell just based on minor details, he knows what the secrets these guys are hiding. And I think that's just... He doesn't guess Tarantino the person on the Jackson floor, though, because he gets his balls. <laughs> yeah, we, all do, man. Right. we all do, Well, of course, he suffers a gruesome death. And horrible death. Samuel L. Jackson, mm. you know, he's a he's a great actor. He's played some great iconic roles. He's also able to effectively slip into the background as a supporting character. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about think about Sam Jackson in Jurassic Park. You don't think about Samuel L. Jackson being in mm-hmm. Jurassic Park. Well, I do butt. all the time. He Hold says one of the most butt. iconic lines in a movie ever by just saying, "Hold on to your butts." Mm-hmm. Get these um, mother snakes the thing Badge. about uh you know every now and then he surprises you and reminds you that he can like pull off a really fantastic role mm-hmm. and he was great in hateful eight he was super like really really good uh yeah. you you liked him but then also you kind of hated him and he was playing the like uh the sympathy you you wanted to sympathize. You didn't with know if he was good or bad. His plight, but yeah. also he He's seemed to just take it too yeah. far. He right. was malevolent mm-hmm. at times. Yeah. Um, even so, the his 
role in Django as uh, Stephen, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Snowball, yeah. yeah, the house yeah. slave. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. It was. It was so good. It was really? way better. He's terrifying. Was he black? He was blacker in Django, right? Was he like <laughs> darker. I mean, like he, he, had had he had darker. He was older and he had yeah. white hair, so maybe it was just the. Yeah. Well, and yeah. like a lot of makeup on his face, like giving those more deep. Sun. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He'd been out in the sun more. He yeah. made a good point about him playing a supporting role and a lead role because in this movie he did both. He was the, he was forced to be like the support role to Kurt Russell's lead role for the majority of the movie. Yes, but then when Kurt Russell, you know, died a violent death, vomiting blood, you know, yeah. all over the floor of that haberdashery. When even then, Samuel L. Jackson stepped up and he became like yeah. the yeah. some metaphor for best guy there he, he was like a phoenix. solid he was like a phoenix but yeah. even before that he had that because re- it was before kurt russell died that he had that interaction where he just puts his gun down by the general yeah and then to, has yeah. that Test long yeah. monologue about the general well up son. in the rewind just a little bit oh, up sorry it wasn't until that no there's nothing to apologize here man oh, we okay, all love okay. i accept your yeah. okay thanks exactly. thanks uh i however do not up until that scene and the scene uh, immediate, the scene where they start eating the stew right. is when Sam Jackson's character comes into question. Mm-hmm. Uh, up until then, he's been terribly likable and right. very cool. In fact, mm-hmm. he, was, he was conspiring with Kurt Russell, presumably mm-hmm. out of the goodness of his heart. He doesn't have to help him with his prisoner, but he did. Mm-hmm. And they were sharing winks. I mean, they had a loose connection over the fact that they both had bounties, but it seemed like there was a friendship there. Mm-hmm. There was some pre-existing well, connection. Well, they shared a steak dinner. Yeah, exactly. And, the, and it was, um, we learned later, of course, that Lincoln letter. That letter I love from that Lincoln. letter. Yeah, the that Lincoln letter. Yeah. And then it's the Lincoln letter that uh, starts to unravel Sam Jackson's character. So they start having this talk where this guy that we don't like so far, he's sucky, uh, doesn't believe in the, the authenticity of this Lincoln letter. And the just like that, sheriff. surprisingly, Sam Jackson, he's like, was it all a lie? And he goes, of course. Yeah. Yeah, just like that, and you're like, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) because you want that to be accurate because that was their connection. Mm -hmm. And then he goes into this awful thing that he may or may not have done to um, the Confederate general's son, which was just depraved. So good, Lord. Um, And then at that point, this is right before the intermission. You're like, oh, now I don't like him at all. He's evil. Right. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. the scene, the shot right before the intermission is when, you know, he, he goads the guy into firing at him, kills him. And then he kind of looks off and in, back into the, uh, the room and kind of gives a little smirk and it cuts to black. Mm-hmm. Well, and then you're the like, guy's playing uh, piano the whole time. Yeah, right. Playing Silent Night. Yeah. 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 And then he closes yeah. the piano in intermission. Yeah. I thought that was a fantastic that was transition. So, that was great. Mm-hmm. So well done. But after that scene played out with uh, Samuel L. Jackson, he's, talk, he's telling that story about the, you know, the general's son or the major's, I don't remember his ranking. It doesn't even matter. The old guy's son. Yeah. Yep. I wonder if that was even true. Because we're in this position where all these people have stories and we're trying to figure out which is real, which is honest and which is false. And we just learned immediately before that, that one story he was touting was completely false. So Mm -hmm. this seems like a wild tale that (laughs) is, is you hope isn't true, but you know, I, from what we've seen of this guy, it could be. I mean, he did yeah, burn dark like time, over a hundred people yeah. just so he could escape a prisoner of war yeah. camp in the South. And Tarantino mm-hmm. is known for these revenge fantasies where he, he, 
feels okay writing these scenes where so- someone who used to be the oppressor is now fallen victim to yes. people they oppressed. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a uh, common so, theme. <laughs> either way, it's it's a horrifying story, but it made me think I I can't even tell anymore what's real and what's I wonder if I wonder if this guy's even going if this guy's telling the truth about becoming sheriff in the next town. Right. If any of these people are telling the truth about who they are. And that's I kind wonder of the if point. He's the like, there were one. no good guys. There's right. like no They're clear. Everyone's character They're was really hateful. ambiguous. Yeah. yeah. The all you know hate. is that they all have to go down. They're no, all I hateful. Think They're all like. Minnie was pretty good. And the yeah, Australian yeah. blonde girl was pretty good. Yeah, but they did. Wait, yeah. wait. But we didn't Which see one? them until and then what was like the fourth day. chapter Sweet Dave. of five. Sweet Dave. Sweet Dave. <laughs> Sweet Dave was Poor fine. Sweet Dave. LB was fine, right? The driver. OB. <laughs> That's true. OB was the only. OB was great. He just wanted yeah. to get warm. That's I know. He just, just, warm. Kept he just wrapped in that bear blanket all mad at the fire because he yeah. thought he was going to die going to the party. This is, this is another instance where Tarantino was able to write a drama with... Uh, comedy integrated so seamlessly. Yeah, but yeah. The, the comedy is so pitch black. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. so dark. That's it's my like, favorite kind. We're supposed to laugh, and he's getting these laughs out of the audience where this guy is essentially beating a woman <laughs> for the first act of the movie. I mm-hmm. mean, not not as he yeah. is. He's right. like when he come becomes frustrated with well, right. yeah, she's some sort of outlaw. We she's, but we mur- don't know. We know anything. she's yeah. wanted for murder. Yeah. But mm-hmm. we're all everything's already kind of illusory at this point. We don't yeah. know what's going on because everyone's so unlikable. Right. And he's she already has a black eye. He breaks her nose, and, yeah. and she's tough. She's a mess. Yeah, but those are the, those yeah. are like that's the slapstick almost moment in right. the movie. That's, where that's the fart joke is him <laughs> like breaking her nose with yeah. his yeah. elbow. That's we need to work out some really sort of system. <laughs> if I elbow you yeah. in the nose, that means shut right. up or whatever. Yeah. And we're all cracking up and it's like, this man is just beating yeah, the this woman. Is when this when is he introduces a her. Misogynistic, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. When he introduces her to um, the rest of the people in the haberdasher, you see also in the trailer where he says, she's going to get, she's going to the hangman and who wants to stop me? And she holds right. up like she's pretending pantomime that was yeah. pretty yeah that was it's funny like, that was funny, funny she acted and they have like lo- likable moments occasionally though like yeah, yeah. They, there was sure. like a strange friendship between, between them everybody. that right. flared up every yeah. now and then where he like wiped her mouth when yeah there was, this, was this weird level of intimacy he between liked them. the song that she was playing yeah mm-hmm. until the last verse Mm-hmm. Then he gone down, smash that guitar. Yeah. But yeah. the funny thing about the uh, the revenge stuff is, I feel like there were there were glimpses of this movie in this movie where Tarantino was almost pulling uh, something similar to what happens in the. There's this uh, German movie called Funny Games, um, which is a home invasion flick that purposefully uh, antagonizes the audience for watching a uh, home invasion movie for the sake of titillation. There was a subtlety there. And even in the, like, so you, the Confederate guy, before we get into Sam Jackson's long monologue about this horrible thing, he may or may not have done to the Confederate guy's son. The Confederate guy confesses that he mowed down an entire group of Northern uh, black soldiers just because they were black. And he, uh, he says so with mm-hmm. such conviction and like venom in his voice that you're mm-hmm. like, oh, we hate this guy. And then moments later, the revenge bit comes out that may or may not come true. And then at first you're like, yeah, that guy sucks. I hope that he killed, you know, you're mm-hmm. just thinking he's going to kill him or something. Right. But it gets worse and worse and worse. And you start to be like, well, now I don't like him. You know what right. I mean? It's mm-hmm. not the same satisfactory uh, 
uh, titillation that you get in revenge fantasy from Inglorious or from Django. Right. You it's like I mean? at the at, oh. at the end, the only character that you are left possibly trusting, I think for me was the maybe the sheriff who knows i kind of if he was the sheriff. if he was that's the thing you still don't know for sure if he was the sheriff and even then that man is so entrenched in racism like if he existed right. today he would be locked up for various hate crimes yeah it's right. not there allowed there are no heroes in this movie and yeah, we yeah. wouldn't allow that today and no, I, we wouldn't and should not by the end of the film when they all are dead and the only two remaining are dying out about yeah. to die yeah you you're sitting there thinking well, okay. <laughs> they all just killed each other. It's like, and yeah, I, and I, what for next? the life of me, I've been trying to like find some profound like message in there, and maybe that's all it is: is that they're all they're all dark, hateful people. There's no hero in this room, so of course their their fate would be would be found this way at the the hand of each other. Like brutally, if you if you live by the sword, you die by the I sword. Think, yeah, that yeah, kind of that's premise. The message. Yeah, there's no there's no like. But poor Ob, he just right into he was here. trying to drink some coffee. It's a terribly poor terribly bleak yeah. and nihilistic movie. Yeah, as far as westerns go, like I think it reminds me of was it High Plains Drifter with where uh, Clint Eastwood is hired by this town to get rid of these villains, and uh, but he does so at the expense of the town, and the town like kind of dissolves in on itself just to get rid of these so I mean the sins of the town mm-hmm. and they just I mean I kind of see it the same way it's just like a big black hole in which you know like no one is uh, yeah, know, but pure sinless you know, do you know that like, Mexican Bob's coat was really warm oh, Bob I <laughs> love it <laughs> but I hope they were they look miserably cold the whole movie so yeah, cold they look really cold comparing mm. this film to Django um Hateful Eight, you're left thinking, well, what was the point? What, you know, what did we, what did we accomplish? What did we achieve by the end of this? In Django, you have just as terrible of a bloodbath. So violent. So many people oh, dying. Yeah. So many evil people. More people and dying. And in Django, way more. You got the romance. And the veins. Yeah, they're all, they're all getting killed. Um, but in Django, I feel like the violence is proportionate to, like, the atrocities that he had experienced before him. Yeah, yeah, I and see so that. Like, sure. I, There's I'm, justice. I'm a, yeah, I feel like yeah. it's justified where he's like fighting for revenge <clears throat> and for justice to free himself and his wife from these terrible people. In Hateful Eight, they're just killing each other because they're all terrible. Yeah. yeah. It's like there is no Django in this situation to bring light into it. No right? one's innocent. Yeah. Well, Maybe that's, that's why the ending is so bleak. Yeah. yeah. That's, and that's the funny thing about it is that, uh, you know, Django's justice is fictional western movie hyperviolent justice right. Right? sure um, but tarantino added a lot more blood exactly and well, uh uh will smith famously passed on the opportunity right. to play django in django unchained um which he said in the beginning had to do with he didn't feel like django was the main character he felt like what christoph waltz was and he wanted to be the lead Hmm. Um, in a Tarantino film. So instead he did After Earth because that was the right choice. <laughs> but just recently, as he's Ooh. promoting Suicide Squad, someone brought up Django again, and Will Smith mentioned that um, really, and who knows if this is true or not, he's one of the hateful eight. Uh, Will Smith mentioned that he felt like the re- the message of Django was was incorrect or that it was he didn't feel right about communicating the message that hmm. revenge 
was the uh, saving grace in the story. He felt like Django should have been reunited with Broomhilda and they should have conceded together that they didn't need revenge because they had love and then they could escape together as free people. But in the movie, Django is relentlessly committed to revenge to the point where he puts himself and Broomhilda at risk at least twice after they've been given their freedom so that he can go and kill everybody and blow the house up. Yeah. And then yeah. at the end of the movie, they're in the flames of all these burning corpses dancing together and the, celebrating. The horses yeah. dancing. And the horses does like Jekyll and Taj. Yeah. I think in the tradition of uh, like Kill Bill, we've just got like peop- guys just getting their limbs cut off and stabbed and slashed and bloods everywhere. You have the same thing with the gunmen in Django Unchained where they're just like these limitless guys and unlimited bullets just going all they over keep, the they place. They keep it's running through the door like an arcade yeah, game. It's yeah, wonderful. Exactly. And then but, at the very end, you've got this kind of playfulness. I mean, not only with the dancing horse, but you've got Brumhilda putting her fingers in her a la you know, Bugs Bunny style. It really was. And Bugs it blows Bunny up. Yeah. And uh, obviously she gives a little that's all, folks. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Well, when, off into the sunset. <clears throat> when... That little tiny gun pops out of the sleeve of Christoph Waltz, and he puts a bullet in the flower of DiCaprio. DiCaprio's yeah, candy, candy, candy. Yeah. missile candy, and all hell breaks candy. loose. That is such an exciting moment. Just oh, turns everyone running around, exciting, shooting. And Time to get on the clock. Tense. It's like not. Th- it's not thrilling like fun. It's thrilling and. This is the worst. Why is this happening right, right. now? Everything was going to be okay. Yeah. It's such a cool turn because at this point, Christoph Waltz had been the cool, collected guy. Like, don't let your you emotions can, get yeah. the hang you of you. See him Kenobi, man. And Obi-Wan he's Kenobi. like, they were scot free. All they had to do was shake the hands and walk away. Yeah, yeah but and I felt he just so tense. I, I remember watching it and I was like, don't shake his hand because like somehow he's like put like a knife under that bandage Stop. or something. No, I was like, no. dude. DiCaprio is going to like really? stab Christoph Waltz like in the ribs when he comes to shake his hand. That's what I thought was going to happen. Uh, like there was some, I had no thought that Christoph Waltz was no, going to just like pop him in the heart at all. I think that it, just, oh, it was just a power struggle between the two to see who would have the most pride for. Yeah, it was yeah. almost like yeah. a permission slip. You also got the flashback of the dogs. Well, the dogs, he's, yeah. He's totally scared of Christoph like, was just getting at Christoph Waltz. But when Django starts shooting and. Tarantino has blood flying everywhere, and you got the sound of like missiles and explosions. <laughs> yeah, that was just fantastic. Crazy. Yeah, cartoonish. But yeah. Uh, playing into that kind of Kill Bill aspect, where it's just a nonstop amount of people coming to fight him, where he runs out of bullets and they call him out from underneath that bookshelf, and he walks out into the opening like atrium between the stairwells and the upper balconies. Yeah, and he he has guys closing in on him, and then he has two rows of people holding rifles aiming down at him. Mm-hmm. Well, this is brilliant cinematography mm-hmm. for him to yeah. Yeah, that Tarantino really thought this through intentionally. Very that patient. We get to right. see yeah. standing so, surrounded by all yeah. these corpses, and the walls are all yeah. splattered. Yeah. There's, There's a scope bit of, of this fight, and how many yeah. people came like descended upon him. Right, the whole mm-hmm. plantation. Yeah, that yeah. like the magnitude of of that scene is just <laughs> obviously unable to fit in this tiny haberdashery mm-hmm. which but is good sure. and bad but well, i think i love Django more for it that's a that speaks to what i was going to ask you guys about next which is the the big the big uh problem in comparing the movies before that i just wanted to say that uh i love what tyler pointed out about that um bird's eye view shot coming down with the rifles surrounding him and in that moment he's utterly helpless even though he's surrounded by all this carnage that he caused Mm -hmm. and then there's a sharp cut 
to another bird's eye view shot of him naked and upside strung down. upside down, right. uh, which is this great contrast of now he's gone from the Crazy person. vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, now he's in the his most utterly vulnerable mm. state. Do you think that that was Jamie Foxx's real penis? <laughs> I, I honestly <laughs> wondered. <laughs> what? If, I don't see why not. <laughs> I don't see why not. But there's a... Maybe it was that scene that Will Smith didn't want to. Will Smith. I don't want the. I don't want this gentleman. Jamie. Uh, the rumor is Jamie Foxx showed up and said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." But when can I take my pants off and hang upside down? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> hey, can we, let, can we shoot that, that first? first. <laughs> I just want to break myself into the role. <laughs> String me up, Quentin. It's like screen test. Let me get strung up. Yeah. No, we're not doing that. We <laughs> give give me that metal mask. Come into it. Don't worry about the lines. Just you work out. I'll improv this piece. When you watch. Um, Django and you watch Hateful Eight just like I was saying earlier it's so hard to compare them because of the scope of them are are intentionally mm-hmm. different but I wonder if audiences are going to come away the same the same way because we do have a subconscious uh, congruence between the two movies Django's the last thing that we've seen from Tarantino and even the advertising the way that the trailer was marketed it is very Django-esque yeah. it, they, the trailer's full of rapid cuts and loud twangy music and funny lines and shootouts yeah. um, so fresh on the heels of Django I think audiences are going to funnel into this movie if they, they were into that and they're going to be jarred by how different how, how contained Mm-hmm. and small it is in scope of this huge epic. Mm-hmm. And it's almost not fair to to Hateful Eight because I don't know that it affected my experience uh, that much, but even without that carryover, Hateful Eight is like a hard pill to swallow even if you're like wanting to do it. You have to sit with it and process it. And it is a really bleak moment and it doesn't satisfy the on the same level or in the same ways as a movie like Django or Inglorious mm-hmm. Bastards or even Kill Bill satisfied because it doesn't take you to a million places the hero doesn't win everything doesn't blow up and you have this big grand finale in fact it kind of fizzles out in a yeah. nihilistic bloodbath mm-hmm. i was it's, waiting for a grand finale i thought where can they go yeah and he didn't and that was actually my favorite bit about the, how bleak an ending it had it reminded me uh, a ton of movies like uh, john carpenter's uh, the thing with kurt russell or even evil dead there's so many similar similarities to the evil dead and how they're stuck in this cabin and how it's like one by one they're turning on each other and suffering these violent deaths. And then in the end, everyone's screwed. Yeah. yeah. And a monster comes out of the basement. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. well, that's, who do you think is the, the protagonist in Hateful Eight? Like if anyone has like, that dies with like, the most honor, the person that didn't betray people, like, would you say it's the I think Russell's it, hangman? I think that it's... Or... I, mean, I think that... Well, I think Obi's there are two. I think there are two different things. I think Obi dies without betraying anyone. I think the prota- protagonist role is shared between all four of the people in the stagecoach. I think Daisy yeah, has that it for right. a while. You don't think so? No. Kurt Russell definitely is the protagonist for a while. You don't think? Yeah, but he's mm-hmm. not a likable character. But the, who we says the protagonist like the has pr- to be likable? That's just anti-hero. I think isn't the, per, the, the person's m- core story arc. Major, major, whatever is Sam Sam, Sam Jackson's, Jackson's character. character. He's, he's the protagonist. Sure, yeah. he makes it the longest. He's a liar too. He, technically, he is the first yeah. person we're introduced to. He's the one sitting out on the road, right? Yeah. And he's it is it's his too. story to get mm-hmm. into the yeah. stagecoach. Yeah. yeah, 
I think yeah, you're I'm an idiot. I retract like two my di- Two different. Well, that was easy. Jeez. Yeah. Also, <laughs> <laughs> what else can we make, Matt? Uh, <laughs> give up on speaking. Speaking toward uh, how bleak of an ending. I think that this also parallels Reservoir Dogs in Here that same go. way. Good lord. Here we go. Because Reservoir Dogs and Hateful Eight, you're you're in the same setting where everybody's pulling their guns on each other at at some point in the movie sure. right? and pulling the trigger and then it just ends with everyone's demise. Right. I think that we don't know if it, Mr. Pink good. survives. It's good and it's like it's like captivating in that way. But you're also so conflicted because it's just not a traditional storytelling that us well, Americans are used to. Yeah. What right. makes this bleak, uh, non-traditional ending even better is that he puts injects the gallows humor into the bleak ending. There's a bit of black comedy oh, yeah. in there where he reaches for the Lincoln letter and then he reads it and it ends on a joke. It ends on a yeah. punchline where he's like, oh, nice touch. Mary Thanks. Todd. Yeah, nice touch. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I thought so. Yeah, that's brilliant. That was great. That, that was, was my that was my favorite. But I thought that was f- even for him. Now I think that was a brave way to end the movie. It was so mm-hmm. interesting yeah. near the end when they were on the bed, uh, <laughs> figuring out how to like mm-hmm. deal with what was going on. But they were admitting it's like we're not going to make it. Right. So like let's try to make sure he doesn't either. So like <laughs> they're like we're already dead. Let's make sure no uh, one else lives through this. So it's yeah. like well, well that's and great. They have to yeah. as a tribute. Then they're acknowledging that they both felt some kind of fondness for Kurt Russell's character, right. the hangman. It sounded like so it, to yeah. honor his to, death. To honor hang him, this woman. They have to hang the woman together with the last yeah. bit of yeah. strength. Well, Kurt, Kurt Russell's a character hitch was very there. brutish and unlikable, but he was sincere and honest. Maybe he had he an honor to him. He did that cool yeah. mustache insult. Yeah. That was <laughs> awesome. So good. <laughs> so good. He, he probably had the most integrity in that room right mm-hmm. but you didn't like him His, and yeah, what he was doing was wrong but he was doing it wholeheartedly yeah, and he, without wavering well, by the movie's rules he's not doing anything wrong he's right. a bounty right. hunter in that culture yeah. that's true yeah right. we didn't yeah it's weird that like kurt russell maybe i mean hopefully i hope it's because i'm not a horrible misogynist and didn't like seeing him beat on a woman but i didn't feel bad about christoph waltz shooting people as a bounty hunter in Django, I was like, man, I love Christoph Waltz. He's great. He's a good guy. And I'm like, but he still kills people for money. Yeah. Yeah. Christoph which Waltz is exactly is what Kurt Russell was doing. It's easier to like him because he was so charming and had long explanations for all the bad things he was doing. Yeah. Kurt yeah. Russell is super Kurt Russell. That's good. He's that super gruff. Um, but there was a likability to him from the beginning, even the way that uh, you know, there were little things peppered in there, I think, to make us like him at least a little bit, the way he was so fond of the Lincoln letter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that he was so... Uh, Sentimental. His resolve yeah. about his job, you know. Yeah. And he, call, he calls it, he calls the ending of the movie within moments of them getting to the end. He says, there are people in here that are conspiring to take the woman... And at that point in the movie, you're thinking, this guy's paranoid. He just... Right. Yeah. Totally. Which yeah. is great. He was right. yeah. good. Yeah, that the, is um, great. How'd you like with the... Uh, the uh, so, Kurt Russell's character won't kill. He's he's His job is just to be, bring the bounty alive to the hangman. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Django, Christoph Waltz is like, dead or alive, I get paid. Right. Sam Jackson well, in Hateful Eight is like, why not just kill him? Why would you bring him in alive? You're still going to get the bounty. Yes, I mean, you've got that kind of carrying over, too. Christoph Waltz, Dr. King Schultz described it as he's in the corpse business. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. It's money for for flesh. flesh. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so he didn't he didn't see it as like turning someone into justice. He just thought it was bringing back a body. Right. He and was uh, making. He was selling a product. Yeah. Sam Jackson's logic was that. In contrast to Kurt Russell, who saw something honorable about it. Like, no one said the job was supposed to be easy. And he's like, Sam Jackson said, no one said it was supposed to be that hard either. Exactly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Now, the big issue that I just could not get past during the film was there's like eight guys, right? There's more than eight people here. There's a lot of hateful people. And only one bed. (laughs) Where the heck are they all supposed to sleep? We don't see a lot up there in the balcony. Yeah. Yeah, There's Mm -hmm. like a mezzanine. Or downstairs. There's a yeah. There's two. The Jody was down in the basement. Tatum. I just, Jody, I, I just didn't what was know, man. How they're supposed to? How does that work in a haberdashery in the 1800s? Is that? I don't 19- think they usually. Well, so 1800s? normally there would never be more than one stagecoach because they even right. said we weren't expecting a second stagecoach. So you'd have four people inside, two on top. So the driver and the shotgun rider would sleep in the barn. And then two people in the chair. How do you know this? Are you just guessing? I'm just making it up. He's spent a lot of time in haberdashery. I'm just just Matt using this. People sleeping with the horses. When we got in the car afterwards, I was thinking back and trying to remember who were the eight. Who the eight were? And I was like, wait a minute, there was. We went through it. Well, it was was more of them. There there was two two stagecoaches of four. Yeah, those are the eight. So it no, was no, no, because the old guy... Uh, he was not one. He, he wasn't one of them. He wasn't hateful. It was Kurt Russell, Sam Jackson, the sheriff, and Daisy Donahue. He was, he was one of the bystanders that just Donahue, was... Donahue, right. Donahue. 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 Yeah. Then, like so that was Donahue. that Donahue. four. Donahue. And then yeah. the other four Donahue. was... Um, the Mexican. The Mexican. I don't think Bob. so, because I went back Madsen. and watched the trailers. Yeah. And they... Do like the flash ring of the eight? Yeah. And they count the old guy as one of the eight because they don't want to give they away say Channing the Confederate. Tatum. Yeah, that's fine. So they huh. don't count they don't. Channing Tatum. Well, I think it was because they're sense. preserving the. So it's the old guy the and the British. But maybe he's Tim, not Tim Roth. Channing Tatum. Well, our programs the, from the show tell us, but we don't have one with us. Yeah. <laughs> Channing Tatum was the him. Jonah Hill of, of this movie. It's just like. Just showed up. Almost exactly the same. A guy who was in 21 Jump Street just showed up for a minute. And 22 Jump Street. It's <laughs> true. A guy That's who tries true. to find drugs in a high school shows up in a Quentin Tarantino movie. It's kind of like the same way I reacted when Jonah Hill pulls off his hood in Django when... Uh, this is a raid. When he comes up out of the ground. Uh, why am I forgetting Magic Mike's name? I just said it. Channing Tatum. Channing, Channing Tatum comes up out of the ground. I was like, oh, okay, I guess. Channing Tatum. I know, well, I had totally forgotten about him because you see his name in the credits, like and Channing Tatum. Yeah, oh, yeah, that guy. But wait, dude, I had totally yeah. forgotten. But you see him. No, not until the no, basement until in the, the second right. act. So the oh, hateful yeah. eight are Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, I said that. Uh, we Kurt got the Russell. Website yep. Um, John something or another. Wooly, uh, the old name? guy, yeah. Tim Roth. Yeah. Um, the crazy guy from Reservoir Dogs that was sitting in the corner writing his memoir. Madsen. Oh, yeah. The uh, cowboy. The Michael Madsen. Bob and Domagoo. That's what I said. Yeah, those eight. Right, so so Channing Tatum's Channing Tatum's not, not one of the crazy eight because he's not actually a part of the conflict and the tension. Mm-hmm. He's, he is. He's yeah, a motivator. Yeah, but he like does some He's a motivator, but he's not a key player. Technically, Why he's he a motivator in the, in the conflict, and the old man is just a bystander who gets caught up. Right. Why did he have to hide? But he was so full of hate. Because he was going to do the surprise kill. I don't know why he took Because it was only to supposed it. to be two people getting off the stagecoach. So it was mm. supposed to be a lot easier, but instead of when four came off, they're like, oh, okay, how are we going to do this? Right. He was just down in the basement, and he was going to wait for Kurt Russell to go to sleep mm. and then come up and pop him in the skull. And much Take like uh, Evil Dead. 
<laughs> recognizable. Poor Daisy ends up in this movie. Yeah, it got just super She gory. must have had some miserable shoot days. Yeah, yeah all sticky covered, covered in, in corn syrup. Oh gosh. With a appliance in her mouth to make it seem like her teeth had been knocked out, which oh, was yeah. really yeah. convincing looking. Yeah, I just can't lie. Yeah, I know. Maybe they just let her punch her teeth out. Maybe <laughs> yeah, Kurt, well, maybe Kurt Russell just in a fit of rage. Yeah, he actually did Because she kept forgetting her lines. <laughs> sell it. <laughs> sell it. I, Camera's I honestly, rolling. When movie started, I thought, okay, we're confined to this haberdashery. How how can we have that traditional Tarantino fight scene where people are just getting nuts and it's getting gruesome and violent? And then Bob's head wondering. blew up. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then they're spewing blood oh, and their heads being blown off, and Channing Tatum's brains are being shot onto his sister's oh, face. That was and fantastic. It. And then Sam Jackson got his genitals blown off. Yeah. yeah. It got really violent. Yeah, and gory. Did. And then, oh gosh, they were just violent. vomiting blood. I felt that, bad for them. That, yeah, was, that was terrible. Rough. When they drank the poison, I was actually pretty excited. Just like, how how is right. he going to write this? What right. Is, how is he going to portray? What does that poison do? The pain. Right. And then when, <laughs> when Kurt Russell went from nothing to blood sprayed across the entire <laughs> oh table, I thought, oh, okay, Terrence. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Normally, people do like, poison; they what, fall asleep. Right. Yeah. What poison <laughs> is that? Like, that is the worst freaking poison. <laughs> you vomit up so much blood that you just die. Yeah. Hey, but you guys know that that dog. Scene in Django is just one of the worst things. That's oh weird. yeah, that was way gruesome. Yeah, that was ripping so, apart. Yeah, and the, then the quick flashbacks that yeah, because uh, when people afterwards has. would say, "Hey, should I see Django or not?" You know, yeah, that's one of those things that. you say it's really rated R. I Make sure you read the, why. Yeah, and everybody's like, like, "Oh, it's the dog scene." R. I think about the Mandingo fighting more. That yeah, if it, the Turn dog, yeah. the dog fight yeah. and the Mandingo fight are really the maybe this is gonna make us sound desensitized, but those are the brutal scenes. The violence that you get from the shootouts is so over the top yes. campy that it's it's yes. a lot like yeah. Kill Bill, in where both mm-hmm. in Django and Hateful Eight. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, Bob's head exploding and and the you know the I mean it's brains so going out over the it's top. still over the top. If you're not used to seeing violence in movies, it it might be pretty jarring to you. Right. Uh, but you know the wh- what do you guys? Is it just a ridiculous th- question to even ask? Which which movie did you like more? That's not a ridiculous question. No, I think that's a ridiculous question. Go ahead and ask him. Which movie did you guys like more? How did you feel when you came out of Django compared to how did you feel coming out of Hateful Eight? What would you have said then and what do you say now about which movie is a movie that, not necessarily better or worse, but which one do you like more? Which is your favorite among those two? I'll I'll start. Yeah, tell us, Tyler. Django Unchained is better. I liked it a lot more. I, I think it's. I think that objectively, it is a better movie. Oh yeah, we're gonna hear all about that in the next episode. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for that. We'll get, we'll get, into, that. <laughs> get into Tyler's I, objective I opinions. Think Django is is a near perfect movie, so I think it's just it's a lot better than Hateful Eight. Uh, however, let me let me nuance this out a little bit. I would give Django Unchained five stars and Hateful Eight five stars, just in the landscape of. American cinema, they're both five-star movies. Comparatively, Hateful Eight to the rest of Tarantino's movies, four and a half, four stars, not quite a five. Okay. That makes sense. It's not, it's not, it's not on that curve, you know, Django's five stars. On the Tarantino curve. Yeah. Yeah. Django's five stars, Hateful Eight's a little lower. Yeah, I agree that I like Django a lot more, uh, both immediately and the, the brief bit of time I've had to stew on Hateful Eight. 
but I almost feel guilty because I feel like um, Hateful Eight's not the kind of movie you can like the way that you like right. Django because right. it's not so a, it's not it a, the Django's more of a popcorn movie. It's more of sure. a thrill ride. It has all the intelligent yeah, the writing. Ending. Yeah, the right. It's just uh, it entertains on a different level than Hateful Eight. It's kind I of like a squirm in your chair ride. I like Hateful Eight. Maybe more even after this conversation, now knowing that it was a stage play, because I think that that frames it differently. Doesn't it? It's you, like yeah, you like, it like more. now I'm now I'm thinking about the movie more and thinking about it through the framework of oh this w- was a play. I'm like actually I think that I would bump I'm it up. I still that. I still like Django more and I still think Django is a better movie, but I actually have a lot more. Maybe even more respect for the hateful eight and the adaption yeah. to film. Once you heard that the framework did. is almost identical to Reservoir Dogs, you liked it a lot. More. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, just, I'm not a great big Reservoir Dogs like fan, but gritty. we'll get into that on the next episode. Felt like it was pretty gritty and raw. Yeah, <laughs> pretty bloody. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Patrick? When I came out of Django, I was easily five stars. This is one of the best things ever. When I came out of Hateful Eight, I was like, that looked cool. Great experience, the 70 millimeter thing, yeah. and it was a super fun story. Solid four stars, and I had fun a lot. Story. <laughs> super fun. It's <laughs> a, a fun super story. fun story, guys. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a fun. good time. <laughs> did you guys not get the same thing? From that? <laughs> <laughs> this one, because you didn't like, is the who's the bad guy? You know, who done it? Just target. Yeah, it was a murder it? mystery. Yeah, yeah, it was like, and it was felt it really was cold. fun because the the performances yeah. were so great. They made it fun, even though it was like incredibly bleak. You know. Mm-hmm. But it's still like, like we're still stewing on it, and unlike Django, Django you didn't have to stew on it at all. Mm-hmm. But still a great movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that Hateful Eight's going to be one of those that you can't watch a million times. But when you do revisit <laughs> oh, it, man. it's going to help. Who's right. watching that a million times? I'd be worried about. I'd <laughs> <laughs> be yeah. sick. Anyone watching so any many movie a million times, times, times probably got some serious problems. I meant that hyperbolically. Yeah, they're uh, forever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I did the math, and uh, tonight uh, we watched Django, and it was, I think, the fourth time that I'd, I'd seen it. Yeah, it was, my third, it was yeah. my third viewing of A couple Django times. Tonight. And, then, third time. yeah. and then tonight, and it still is, like, not not boring whatsoever. Yeah. Still, you know, I know every bit of what's coming. It's still right. so fun to say. I, you even look forward to the scenes you know are about right. to happen because they're so fun. I look forward to the part where he cuts his hand and it was real. And then you just see him, like, pull the glass out. I'm yeah. like, man, why hasn't that man won an Oscar? This is absurd. <laughs> Come on, Academy. And then uh, Hateful Eight, I imagine, you know, when it comes back around in a few months to, to revisit it, will be really fun. And yeah. uh, we'll appreciate it. And we'll see yep. things that we haven't seen before. And then maybe a few years after that. Uh, the oh. same thing um, but I imagine if you were going on time four within just a couple of years and you were watching that four minute sequence at the beginning of a cross and nothing else you'd be like oh jeez yes. hateful <laughs> uh, thanks for listening to You Hate Movies did you catch the 70 millimeter roadshow presentation of the hateful eight are our opinions on the movie ridiculous please by all means let us know Social media, Instagram and Twitter at YouHateMovies and Facebook.com slash YouHateMovies. You can also leave a comment on this episode and check out our entire episode backlog at YouHateMovies.com. Join us next week as we argue about how to rank the entire filmography of Quentin Tarantino from best to worst. <laughs>